Amen. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you. Great to have the opportunity to dive back into God's Word. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. We're continuing in the series through the book of Hebrews that if we were to summarize it in a sentence, I would just call it, Jesus is better. Uh, There's a lot of false saviors out there that will always end up disappointing and they will eternally disappoint, but Jesus is better than every other option. And therefore, we need to cling to Him and lean into Him and rely on Him in every season. And so in chapter 10, he's been building this case for for nine chapters that Jesus is better than all these alternatives that the Hebrews would have considered as rivals to Jesus. And he, he debunks all these rivals and says, look, Jesus stands over all of them. And therefore, in chapter 10, we should draw near to the Father through what Jesus has done. And we've got to keep doing that. We've got to have enduring, persevering faith. All other kinds of faith are not saving faith. Faith that just touches Jesus for a little while and then moves on to other saviors is not saving faith. There's only one faith that saves, and it's enduring faith. And we're called to that at the end of chapter 10. And then in verse, excuse me, in chapter 11, we get these examples of all these Old Testament saints who demonstrated enduring faith. People who didn't look to their present circumstances, but to their future reward and lived in ways that pleased God even when it seemed impossible for God's promises to prevail. And so the author has brought us in chapter 11 from the creation of the world to the time when the Israelites conquered Jericho, which is recorded for us in Joshua chapter 6. And if you know your Old Testament even just a little bit, you know that the book of Joshua is pretty early in the Old Testament. So he's got a lot more Old Testament to cover to get up to the time of the Hebrews. And in verse 32, as we'll see in a moment, he tells us, look, I could go on and on and on. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to drop a few names for you to ponder and consider, and then I'm going to move on to chapter 12. One writer says he gives us a crescendo of final examples of those who lived lives that were marked by faith in God. So let's consider this crescendo of final examples this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, we ask that by Your Spirit we would be built up in the faith this morning. God, that whatever 
disappointments or discouragements or challenges that may have come with us into this room. God, we know that Satan would delight in allowing those things to sack our faith. But we pray, God, today that you would remind us that saving faith endures uh, through every trial, every adversity, every circumstance. And God, that it endures by focusing and fixing its gaze, its eyes on Jesus. So help us to be a Jesus people today. We ask it in His name. Amen. In, In these verses that we've just read, the author keeps showing us that the story of God's people has always been a story of faith. By faith, some enjoyed unlikely triumphs. It looked like the enemy was going to win, and yet they were victorious. And yet, by faith, others endured through great turmoil. These people acted in ways that can only be explained by faith in God, who by His power keeps His promise through His Son. And now that Jesus has come in the fulfillment of the expectation of the Old Testament saints, it's up to us to continue to walk by faith until He comes again. We see three things in this text. To live by faith in the Lord, the first thing we see is we must rely on the Lord for victory in our weakness. Victory in our weakness. The author has a lot more to add. What more shall I say does not mean that he's run out of material It means he's only begun to tell us the stories of the faith of God's people. Time will fail him if he continues, so he drops a few final names to ponder. When I I read verse 32, I'm encouraged because one of the battles in a pastor's mind is always how to get the sermon tight enough, how to to boil it down to to a short enough uh, message to hold the attention and not, not be overkill, particularly in this age of live streaming and online. Attention spans are shorter. Hang on out there, online audience. Um, but in seminary, because we had 20 people in our preaching class, you had to preach three times, but you only had 20 minutes to deliver the message. Read the text, illustrate the text. It was a very challenging assignment, and they deducted points for every second over 20 minutes. And so I remember when the professor gave the assignment, one of my brothers in preaching class raised his hand. He said, he said, Professor, are you serious about the 20 minutes? It takes 15 minutes for a Baptist preacher to clear his throat. And uh, there's, there's some truth to that. But uh, this, this preacher, this author, has a lot to say, but he also wants to hasten to make his point. So he just drops a bunch of names. And we're going to consider a few of those names this morning. Verse 32 mentions Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Men in the book of Judges who led God's people in victory over their enemies. And then we read of David and Samuel in 1st and 2nd Samuel. And then he says the prophets. As if those few names that we read weren't enough, he drops prophets in there. I mean, that's like the Old Testament, right? Not just the named prophets, but the prophets of God who were not ever named in the Old Testament. So there's a lot of characters for us to consider this morning. I hope you've packed a lunch. Just kidding. Verse 33 He tells us what these men accomplished by faith. By faith they conquered kingdoms. You see, faith in the invisible God leads to visible results in our life. The way you live will be impacted, it will be changed because you have faith in the invisible God. Faith in the invisible God shows up in visible ways. First, they conquered kingdoms. Barak defeated Sisera, Gideon defeated the Midianites with 
300 men, and the Midianites had more people than could be numbered. Jephthah triumphed over the Ammonites. Samson defeated the Philistines many times. Samuel was victorious as well over the Philistines, and David slew the giant Goliath and then many more enemies of God's people as the king of a unified and prosperous Israel. By faith, these men also performed acts of righteousness. Uh, Perhaps a better translation is they administered righteousness. This is speaking of their leadership of God's people. The prophets kept calling Israel back to God's word as the rule of their lives. They had to follow the book. In 2 Samuel 8.15, we read that King David reigned over all Israel and administered justice and righteousness for all God's people. As leaders of God's people, their job was doing righteousness and overseeing righteousness, leading according to God's law and leading people to follow God's law. That's not easy to do because God's law is a standard, it's an authority, it's a rule that we aren't to deviate from. And so they were to conduct themselves in accord with this authority and then hold that up as the authority in the people's lives over which they governed and led. The only way to do that is to believe that God has spoken definitively in authority in His Word, to put your feet down on His Word, and to believe that God wrote the Word and it is trustworthy and that God is to be feared more than any man or woman who would challenge you for standing for the Word of God. By faith, Godly leaders did what was right and led God's people to do the same. By faith, they also obtained promises, plural. Do you see that in verse 33? That's important because we read in verse 40 that they did not obtain the big promise. The promise that was waiting on Jesus to come and to fulfill all the promises of God. But there were promises along the way that God kept. Promises of victory that God gave. Promises of deliverance that God gave. And these were little foretastes of the victory that was on the way through the coming of Jesus Christ. We can conclude from these verses that things accomplished by faith are not easy. This this is not um, superstition, right? This This is belief in a holy, powerful God. Things accomplished by faith require a power that we don't bring to the table. Faith is not about mustering up our own courage in ourselves. It's not about self-belief. It's about belief in God who brings His power to the problem to deliver. We face an incredibly powerful enemy. But the all-powerful God gives victory through faith. What kind of power does God have? Look at, verse, at the end of verse 33. He's got a power that even shuts the mouths of lions. Samson tore apart a lion with his bare hands. David killed lions threatening his flock. Daniel spent the night in a den of hungry lions and emerged without a scratch. But I want to tell you, church, it's not just Daniel and David and Samson who tamed the lions. It's the church of God today that is still taming the lion. Do you remember what Peter says? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to derail you in your faith. He wants your circumstances to take you out of the race. But resist him, Peter says. Listen to what he says. He sounds like the author of Hebrews. Resist him, how? Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. The people of God all around the world and down through the ages have faced adversity because they loved God. But God saw them through it. And one day, their faith will be proven as valid when Christ 
returns. You say, well, I, I, I don't even understand this. I, I, don't, I don't see in my life that I need to tame a lion. Well, let me encourage you. Get out there on mission and watch Satan show up. Start to pray for that family member who's far from God and watch Satan try to show up in your life. Go out there and endeavor to share the gospel with your lost neighbor. Find a cause in the kingdom of God and Satan will attack. If you're not involved in trying to advance the kingdom, then what business does Satan have with you? You're, you're neutralized. You're on the sidelines. So he's, you're not that important to Satan. But as soon as you step out into the mission of God, watch Satan try to attack. But I've got good news for you. you got the Spirit of God. And when you go in the Spirit of God and the fullness of, spirit, of the Spirit with the promises of God, God will see you through the adversity. It doesn't mean the adversity won't come. But God will empower you and embolden you to overcome the wicked one and to conquer by the power of God. Verse 34 keeps showing that God's people overcame obstacles by faith. They quenched the power of of the fire. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to bow to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. They would not worship the idol to the king Nebuchadnezzar. They were thrown in the fiery furnace, and yet the fire did not consume them. And do you remember there was an extra man standing with them in the fire? There's the angel of the Lord standing with them, a sign for us that one day God would come in the person of His Son. He would leave heaven and He would stand on the cross. And He would take the fiery wrath of God against our sin so that we could not have to have the fire of God against our sin, but instead we could be counted as those who are in Christ and we could know the love of God our Father. People of faith quench the power of fire. They also, do you see it there in verse 34? escaped the edge of the sword and put foreign armies to flight. Escape from the edge of the sword and putting foreign armies to flight could apply to so many stories in the Old Testament, it's, it's hard to know where to start. Joshua, Barak, Gideon, and David all overcame the enemy when victory for them seemed impossible. And speaking of impossible, look at the beginning of verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This is speaking of an account, one in 1 Kings and one in 2 Kings, where women who were supporting the prophets Elijah and then Elisha, their sons died. And then the prophet, God used the prophet to intervene and their son came back to life. What an amazing victory in their life. My son was dead and now he's alive. God did it through the faith of these women. But we need to be careful. If we stop at the first half of verse 35, we would think, man, those who have faith have the world by the tail. Their lives are easy. They always have victory. They always have triumph. Everything is great in their lives. Look back at verse 34. Notice that it says these people from weakness were made strong and that they became mighty in war. The point is not that the people were amazing. The point is that God gave His power and God gave the victory. It is God who makes the weak strong. It is in His presence and with His power that we are more than conquerors. These Old Testament saints had to be made strong and mighty because, listen to this, they were marked by weakness and even sin. They did not conquer because they were fit or because they were flawless. They conquered through faith in God. 
Barak was not courageous enough to go into battle without Deborah. Gideon asked for a sign and made an ephod that led Israel into sin. Samson's failures with Delilah are famous. Jephthah foolishly vowed to sacrifice his own daughter. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband and tried to cover his tracks. Clearly, these examples of faith are not marked by perfection. Rather, they are marked by persistence. Those who endure this side of the return of Christ are not those who obtain perfection in this life. They are counted as perfect in Christ. And yes, they are becoming more and more perfect as the day of Christ approaches. But the reason, or the way rather, that we endure is by how we respond to our imperfections. Do we try to cover them up and pretend that they're not there and do it on our own? Or do we run again, face down before a holy God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Make me usable in your kingdom. We do not minimize who God is or what He requires. We run to Him again and again by faith. Church, faith is not in our ability. It is in God who is able. Faith is confidence not in ourselves, but in God alone who saves. Faith that endures is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to the world. Faith boasts not in our strength or our ability, but in our weakness. Do you remember the song, Jesus Loves Me? Little ones to Him belong. We are weak, but He is strong. Faith does not say, I can do all things. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let's clarify this verse for just a moment, even though we're not in Philippians 4.13 today. That does not mean that your pastor can throw a 95 mile an hour fastball because I love Jesus. I mean, do you see these arms? It ain't happening. So what does it mean that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? It doesn't mean that you can make a rock bigger than yourself and then, and then lift it. That, that's not what the verse means. It's, it's not a, voy- a verse for uh, domination in sports. The verse means that I can experience the entire range of the human condition. That's what all things means. I can experience incredible wealth. I can experience extreme poverty. I can experience great fame and popularity and success. Or I can experience great adversity and persecution and misunderstanding and struggle. And in all these various scenarios of life, in the highs and in the lows and in the in-betweens, I can do all things through Christ because my contentedness is not in my circumstances. My contentedness is in the Lord Jesus Christ who conquered death, hell, and the grave for me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Jesus never fails. The common thread in these verses is that faith trusts in God's promises in risky and dangerous situations. In some cases, faith resulted in an obvious victory. In other cases, it persevered through overwhelming suffering. Do you see that word in verse 35, and? Right after it tells us that the women received back their sons by resurrection. And others endured torture. What's interesting is there's not a second by faith. 18 times in chapter 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And it would have been a natural opportunity in the middle of verse 35 for the author to say, you know what, all these great things happen by faith, but by faith all these negative things also happen that the people of God endured through. But he doesn't say but, as though there's a contrast 
Instead, he says, and. And his point is this. Whether you see great victory or whether God leads you through a dark valley, both sorts of circumstances, people are living by faith. We must not trade. Our second point is that we must not trade everlasting life for temporary comfort. Others were tortured, verse 35, not accepting their release. Why? So they might obtain a better resurrection. People who endure through torture and see no victory do not have any less faith than those whose sons were raised from the dead. And you know what? As remarkable as it would be to see your son raised from the dead, he would still die. One day, he would still die. But Hebrews tells us in verse 35, there's a better resurrection. There's a resurrection that comes through Jesus Christ, and when you are raised up to life in Him, when He comes again and you're raised to life, nothing will cancel the life that He gives. There will never be death again. Verse 35 tells of people who were tortured for their faith. They were offered a way out of the torture, a payment or a ransom for their crime against the government, but they would not accept it because they would rather die serving their king than serving Caesar. Many Bible scholars believe that this section about torture and endurance and not taking a way out, that it refers to a story that happened between the close of the writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the writing of the New Testament, a period that's called the intertestamental period. And during that time, there were faithful Jews who were looking for the coming of the Messiah. And we read of a woman who had seven sons, and under the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, during their show trial, the leading son, the spokesman of the family, began to be tortured. And as he was tortured, the officials offered to stop torturing him and waive his, the penalty of his crime if he would forsake God. And as he was being tempted with this offer, his mother and his six brothers called out to him, saying, don't do it, persevere, honor God, resurrection's on the way. Don't do it. Persevere. Honor God. Resurrection is on the way. And so, the officials cut out his tongue. They scalped his head. They cut off his hands and his feet. And they fried him in a pan. As the rest of his family looked on. And then they too were tortured. And put to death. By faith, they looked to a better resurrection. Those who live by faith didn't always have it easy. And I want to submit to you, church, it's it's a great privilege to live in our country. And we've had it easy for a long time. And we've developed a culture in Christianity that I don't know if we would endure torture because I've seen some Christians who won't even endure inconvenience for the sake of the gospel and the health of their church. A program ends or an initiative changes or a vote doesn't go their way and they shop for something better. We live in a a me first, now focused 
consumer-driven world. And that world is far from the kingdom of God and the church of Christ. We need to shake that mentality out of our lives because it is robbing churches of the power of God. Because the power of God shows up when we put the glory of Jesus and the health of His church ahead of ourselves. What will we endure for the cause of Christ? In verse 36, we read, And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, chains and imprisonment. Jeremiah was beaten and put into stocks. King Asa imprisoned the prophet Hanani when he rebuked him for not trusting the Lord. King Ahab imprisoned Micaiah for prophesying his death. In verse 37 it continues, they were stoned and sawn in two, tempted, put to death with the sword, and went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. Tradition holds that the prophet Jeremiah was stoned to death in Egypt, and it also holds that Isaiah the prophet was sawn in two. We also know in the New Testament that John the Baptist was beheaded and that Stephen was stoned to death. To put it as simply as I can, church, the people of God down through the ages, if we look at the last 2,000 years and even the thousands of years before Christ, for the most part, the people of God who've lived by faith have been a minority people. They've been on the outside looking in. They've been poor and persecuted and tormented. And even their clothing has demonstrated this. They walked around in sheepskins and goatskins, reflecting their forsakenness by society as well as their poverty. We can think of Elijah and Elisha and John the Baptist who lived out in the deserts and wore strange clothing. We can think of countless others who have lived as outcasts in this world to be welcomed in the world to come. Those who have said, I'd rather be poor now and rich later than rich now and poor forever. Those who'd say, I'd rather be persecuted now so I can praise the King of Kings later than have the praise of men now and then be tormented forever. God's people know that it is far better to be clothed now with the righteousness of God than to be clothed with the acceptance of the world. Verse 38 adds this, They were men of whom the world was not worthy. They were wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. In other words, the world did not appreciate the example standing before them. Here's a man, here's a woman that's living differently. They're living counterculturally. They're like a fish swimming upstream. And the world saw it and mocked it. And missed the witness and the testimony to the fact that Christ is better. Even the Israelites often missed the example. I mean, think about how they treated their own prophets. Elijah and Elisha had to wander in the desert because they weren't safe with the people of God. Other prophets were forced to hide in caves. Jeremiah, because he warned the people of God's coming judgment and loved them, was thrown into the bottom of a muddy well. You say, Pastor, what's the point? Here you go. Real simple. Don't think following God means you'll have an easy life. Don't think following God means you'll have an easy life. But you will have a forever, wonderful, joyous, and everlasting life when He returns. If easy or comfortable remain your idol, and let's face it, we all like it easy and we all like it comfortable. But if those remain our priorities in life, if we don't let Christ rid our heart of the idol of comfortable and easy, you won't finish the race. 
you'll encounter an adversity, a stumbling block, or a something where you say, Jesus isn't worth it. But if Jesus is really worth it, easy and comfortable won't be your idols. And you will stay in the race. Faithfulness to God is proven in ways that require us to look beyond the present and to the fulfillment of God's promises. It may mean enduring torture, refusing to deny Christ. It might mean being mocked or scourged or losing our job or being in prison. It might be being poor, persecuted, and persistently mistreated. It might be mean like it does for our brothers and sisters in China today, worshiping on the run and in the shadows because they are persecuting our brothers and sisters in China like crazy today. It might mean any one of these things or lesser things that are likewise hard. Forgiving one another. Repenting of our sin. Following godly examples. You see, these stories are not just about the past. These stories are for us. The author of Hebrews did not write chapter 11 as a nice, interesting historical exercise. And what I, what I would hate for us to happen is we've spent a lot of time working through chapter 11 is to go, wow, that was a really cool chapter. I learned about the old, a lot about the Old Testament. Got that. My brain has swelled with information. That's not the point. The point is, the people of God have always lived by faith. Christ has come in fulfillment of the promises of God. Live in anticipation of His return like those people. Keep living by faith. You are going to finish their story. These examples of faith are guideposts for how we should live Right now, it's not like, oh, that's interesting information from the past, but my life is different, so different that I don't, it doesn't apply to me. It applies to you. One day, faith and hope are going to give way only to love, but for right now, the promises secured through the resurrection of Jesus and His heavenly intercession in His high priesthood for us, they have to await His return. Like the Hebrews, we're going to face pressure to bail on the Lord. We're going to face pressure to think that God has forgotten His promises, but we must not give up. The reason for that is given in verse 40. Do you see it? God provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. This is interesting. They died in faith, but their faith was waiting the coming of the Messiah. And now that the Messiah has come, and we can go in the power of the Spirit, we finish, in a sense, what God started in their faith. One scholar explains it this way. The Old Testament saints did not live to see the coronation of Jesus on the cross. They did not receive the promise in their lifetime, but knew it would come ultimately and eventually through the people of God. It was only in the establishment of the new covenant by the blood of Jesus, the covenant that cleanses the conscience and gives us access to the Father, it was only through that covenant that the old covenant promises could be fulfilled. Their access to God awaited the coming of the Son, and the population of God's kingdom awaited the enduring faith of people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And guess who's the, who those people are? It's you and me. It's the, it's the neighbor on your street that just moved in that you're going to share the gospel with. And God's going to gloriously rescue their life, and they're going to live a life by faith. Their marriage is going to be impacted. Their parenting is going to be impacted. Their children's lives are going to be impacted. And one of them is going to grow up and be a missionary to a place that's never heard the gospel before because you endeavored to live by faith in the here and now like the people back there. And you are completing the promises of God by faith. 
The word perfect in verse 40 refers to receiving our final and forever inheritance in the promise, excuse me, in the presence of Jesus along with people from all over the world. In verse 39, we read that the people of God were approved or given a testimony by faith. But what they hoped for is now in our court. North Roanoke Baptist Church, we need to continue the story. We need to rely on God. And we can because Jesus has come and He's poured out His Spirit and He's sent Him into our lives. And Jesus says when the Spirit comes, you're going to do even greater things. When you read Hebrews 11, you're like, that's amazing. Look at all the stuff they endured. Look at all that God did. And Jesus says when the Spirit shows up, the church is going to do even more. Faith trusts God in triumph and in turmoil. In the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs. If He gives victory now, we rejoice in the foretaste of the everlasting victory yet to come. If there is turmoil and torture and suffering and sadness and despair and depression and death, or just hard seasons and hard conversations, we keep trusting God, knowing that the better resurrection is on the way and the present suffering of this world will not last. Let me ask you this morning, do you have that confidence? Are you living with the hope of the everlasting victory that's on the way in Jesus? Or is your life dominated by the highs and the lows and the in-betweens? Let today be the day. If your life is a roller coaster dominated by your circumstances, let today be the day that you fix your gaze on Jesus. You put all your confidence, all your trust, all your hope, all your faith in Him and say, God, no matter what comes, I'm yours. And if I'm yours, it's okay. Let today be the day that your life is totally defined by faith in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we confess that we love easy. God, if we could all run to Staples and buy an easy button and just hit that easy button and everything would be fine, Lord, that's, that's what we would want to do. But God, you've not made us just for this world. You've made us for the world that's on the way in Jesus. God, you've fitted our lives for heaven. And Lord, as we read about the faith of the men and the women who trusted you down through the ages, and we're reminded that you've poured out and sent your Holy Spirit into our lives, God, we, we want to ask you this morning corporately, whether we're online, whether we're in this sanctuary, God, renew our faith. God, strengthen our resolve, not in ourselves, but in you. And God, whatever situation that that my brother or my sister is facing this morning that seems impossible, remind them that you are a God who does the impossible. God calls them to trust you like never before. God, to anchor all of their hope and ambition and dreams in you and what you want to accomplish in the kingdom through their lives. God, make us a Jesus people for your glory and the good of our neighbors and the nations who are waiting to hear that Jesus is better and that Jesus saves. We ask it in His name. Amen.